Welcome to Two Paychecks. This episode, we're talking to the rapper Soul. He's not just a political rapper, he also does a great anarchist podcast called The Soul Cast, but he's not all talk. He's always been in the streets organizing and putting in work. His podcast was the first radical podcast I've heard, so he's been a big influence on this show. And we're happy to have him on. To put things in context, this interview was recorded while the Kavanaugh hearings were happening, which was, of course, a pretty dark time, and maybe things haven't really lightened up so much since then. But here we are. But here we are. (laughs) Well, hey, the thing I'm most interested in asking you is about positivity because you often talk in your music about being positive and how you enjoy life, but you're also someone who's involved in the struggle and not apathetic, someone who's well aware of the oppression we're up against. So I guess my first question is how? How do you keep yourself positive? Um, Sometimes it's easier than others, you know? Um, Like today, I feel miserable, to be honest. I, uh, I was like, oh God, I didn't even want to fucking get out of bed today. But um, usually I feel great. Um, And, you know, um, I guess I think it's just having healthy, healthy practices in your life and surrounding yourself with um, positive energy. Like if if there are people who are always complaining and negative and mopey, like I don't fuck with those people. Like there's a lot of anarchists that are that way that are just like too cool for school or like super book nerdy. And so they like, but when they get in person, all they can do is complain. And it's like, I can't fuck with that shit. Um, I just want to be um, like, because our, the things that are, the things that we're fighting are so massive and so horrific that um, at least in our personal lives, we have to do what we can to quote unquote cultivate um, you know, positive energies. One of the things I, I, I think about is, um, this, uh, permaculture kind of, I guess I would call him kind of a mentor. I don't agree with all of this stuff, but this guy, Adam Brock in Denver, he wrote this book, um, called social permaculture. And there's a lot of stuff in there I don't like, but one of the things that I liked was about like, um, You know, in gardening, you think of like things in zones, like the things that you plant closest to you are the things that require the most care. Things that you plant further away are things like you just don't need to think about till fall. Um, And applying that kind of thought to like social stuff, it's like, what can I do to increase the interaction with people who um, are the most positive or bring me the most joy or inspire me, you know? Um, And so like, one like one one example of that for me is like being involved with channel zero um you know i find that like when i talk to people from igd or submedia or some of these other projects whether it's bursts or whoever like they're always like really positive people who um you know if i'm like oh god like nothing is working like I should just be a nihilist. And then I'll like, you know, talk to some of those people for a minute and then I'll be like, Oh wait, no, look at the long arc of history, you know, look at all that 
you know, anti-authoritarians have accomplished over the last year. Like, sure, we haven't overthrown Trump, but look at the prison strikes. Look at look at the ICE occupations. Look at this. Look at the look at the teachers revolting. Like, you know. But when you're like focus, when I'm focused on like the 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 tiny little things that I'm working on or things that I wish I was working on that I'm not, it's easy to feel like overwhelmed. But really, um, you know. Uh, it's just one thing at a time and every, you know, like every gesture does matter. Every gesture ripples and there's no, you know, like for me, like sometimes I'm like on the fence about protest and I'm like, Oh God, everything's a fucking waste of time. But then it's like, you never know who else is going to be at that protest that gets radicalized. And then, you know, maybe that person, you know, on their 19th birthday, they throw the first brick, you know? And it's like, all right, you know, um, and, uh, and then, you know, beyond that, it's like, yeah, just cultivate having healthy hobbies and, you know, I have like an awesome relationship. I've been with the same woman for 20 years and, uh, you know, some people, I, I see some people like with relationship shit, they're like always torturing themselves and always like, like, seems like they get off on fighting or get off on like having like drama in their lives, you know? And like, I ain't got time for that shit. You know, I want to like, I want to read. Um, I want to like get this album done. So when the new fallout video game comes out in uh winter, I have like, I can play it and not feel like I'm <laughs> neglecting my duties, you know? Um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, usually I'm really positive. I'm, I'm out here in Maine though, where, um, I actually don't have many friends or really any comrades out here. And so it's like, we've only been here two months. And so it's like really, um, sometimes it, I get pretty dark out here because I'm like, fuck, this place is such a bubble. You know, everyone's like, so in the middle, like, I feel like the, the, you know, you don't see ice trucks rounding people up out here. There's no critical infrastructure out here. And so I'm like, it's just weird to like be outside, be like in a bubble almost. And that's fucking like, that to me is kind of dark, but yeah. So I don't know. I think uh, it's a situationist slogan to be at war with the world lightheartedly is the way to do it because otherwise you're just going to burn out and uh, be miserable. And, you know, and and the only thing I'd add to that is like, if you listen to like my new mixtape or a lot of my music, it's like when I'm like really fired up about something, um, it's like a one-way argument that I'm trying to win, you know? But in person, I'm like, you know, oh, like, let's talk, you know, maybe you are going to like, give me some information I don't have. Like, you know, uh, it's not so black and white, you know, human beings are, you know, we can always learn from each other. And even if I don't feel like I have something to learn from some liberal or Trump supporter, um, I can still like carry on a conversation and like, not have to like, uh, go in the bathroom, put on a mask and come back and beat someone's ass or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So hobbies, um, healthy relationships and looking, not like being overwhelmed by the big picture. It's kind of like the, like how like the, the big picture of how awful things can be seems to be what I'm sort of picking up. Nature. <laughs> Nature. You know, food, you know, fucking good meal, 
Right. I mean, no matter how broke you are, you know, you can always like scrounge up enough shit to have to make some some spicy food. Right. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper usually. <laughs> and dogs. Yeah. And dogs. Hanging out with dogs. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at my dog right now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny because you've you've rapped about your dog a few times, so it came to mind. It's interesting you. Yeah, uh, I mean. Like, you know, like, talk about focusing on things that you can do and change or, like, local stuff. Like, I, I really like that analogy with the um, the permacultural, you know, planting patterns or whatever. Um, yeah. But, like, you know, because most people, it's funny, most people don't even fucking vote, let alone organize or go to protests or anything. But then all they focus on is the federal side of things. And that's, like, the thing that you have the least fucking control over. You know, the least, like, right the on. most minuscule say in, you know. Like, one vote in a right feder- on. on a federal level is just a fucking drop in the bucket, whatever, right? Yeah, but you know what? You can, like, get involved with, um, you know, some local group doing solidarity for, um, you know, you can go pick it in front of a fucking shitty tenant a shitty landlord right. house and make a real or, change like a like a measurable difference can be made from in one day like on like a yeah especially with a renter strike or, or like a rent rental dispute or something yeah like i was having an art not an argument but like a um definitely not an argument but like a discussion with uh pat the bunny this folk punk artist who uh who I'm friends with the other day, and we were, he was like, kind of like, okay, of all the things you've done, what do you think made the greatest impact of all your organizing? And I was like, man, most of it just are gestures that evaporate, you know, except this one time, you know, this guy, Sherrod, it was like during Black Lives Matter, and we went to this, um, went to this protest for Jessica Hernandez, who was uh, this trans Latinx person killed by a cop like a teenager um and we went to like this vigil that some people called and the vigil was you know as i'm always like what you know i I show up i'll show up to the vigil you know and just get a feel for like what's going on and uh and then there were all these people there with like the shirts that said like these homemade shirts that said free sharad kindle and i was like who the who the fuck is that? Like, what are y'all? What are y'all doing here? Like, who are you, who's this guy? What are you talking about? And they're like, oh, this is our nephew. Um, he is sitting in jail right now. He was shot, you know, four I think seven times or three times um, through his ephemeral artery, and he's like literally sitting in a jail right now, and they won't even bring him to the hospital. And I was like. So me and my homies were like, man, no one, no one even knows about this shit. You know, this guy just got fucking shot by the cops like a day and a half ago. Yeah. And he's like bleeding out in solitary right now. It's like, that's fucked up. So, um, you know, I, uh, me and a bunch, me and a couple of friends were just like, let's do something, you know? And so we just started calling for a rally at the jail. And um, up until that point, he wasn't allowed medical care. Um, he wasn't allowed visitors, um, and, and things like this. And as soon as we started holding rallies, like literally like the next day we were there doing rallies, 
he got the medical care. He got to see he got to see his family, you know. They, and then they brought the preachers in to talk to him, and um, and and so it was like a really tiny. It was a, it wasn't a small thing. It's like that that guy could have fucking died. Yeah, right. you know. Um, and so I'm not saying like, oh, we saved somebody's life, but that's like, you know, by going to a vigil where you know, not a lot was happening. And then you just happen to bump into somebody else who's going through something similarly. And then you find a point of intervention, like, Oh, here's something we can do. Like this is where a protest and holding signs and making noise will have a material impact on someone's life. And so, yeah, that's like a perfect example of like, you know, you don't have to always be thinking on the scale of like, how are we going to stop the empire from, nuking Afghanistan like would be nice we could think that way but sometimes it's like just looking around and seeing like oh what can we do here and talking to people you know just like being friendly like that literally happened because we were being friendly and just talking to everyone you know these people weren't like yelling like hey what about our pain you know yeah right that's cool Sherrod is still in jail so, oh, okay. I mean, that mm. sucks, but we weren't able to break him out. Yeah, but he's still alive. Yeah, it's yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's disgusting to hear, but it's awesome to hear that like you were able to do something about it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do it alone. I was, you know, working with his family and a couple other comrades, but it was a really small group of people who just did something, you know. And it was like during Black Lives Matter, um, and a lot of the local you know, Black Lives Matter groups were like, oh, this person has been, I don't want to say local Black Lives Matter groups, but certain people were like, oh, we can't do anything for this guy because he has a criminal record or whatever. And we're oh, like, oh, right. fuck. The liberal elements were... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't even know if, they were, if, I, if I would say liberal. But <laughs> just. Um, you've, you've talked about a lot about how, like, you weren't radicalized early on, it seems, and that it kind of came later. You said this a lot on the podcast, and I've always wanted to hear your, your story on that because I find it kind of fascinating. Um, okay, well, so I guess I would say, I mean, when I say radicalized, I mean, like, you know, quote-unquote militant, 100%, I can identify as an anarchist, and I know what it means. Like I could lay out a, you know, a definition of what an anarcho-communist society or, you know, post, uh, post-scarcity society could look like or something. Um, so when I say that, that's really what I mean. Um, you know, when I was like, when I was 11, 12 years old, I was, um, you know, writing essays in, uh, middle school about the Black Panthers and Malcolm X and you know I used to wear a Malcolm X hat and I, I would always be rocking red, black, and green and uh, you know a little white kid age thirteen or whatever yeah. um, <laughs> and so like that's that's a form of being radicalized you know of like deeply identifying with um, you know the Black struggle um, but um, I suppose. You know, and like even like my early, like one of my, like my first demo had a song called David Duke Get the Dick. 
you know. Um, <laughs> and then we sent it. We sent it to Gangstar, and then DJ Premier said it sounded like Vanilla Ice learning how to rap. Um, which it's I don't know. I don't know. I don't he know listened to it though. <laughs> yeah, not and every thirteen year old. Yeah. Um, I, you know, he never called me back. But um, so, you know, from there, um, you know, after like Public Enemy, and I feel like like political rap. Um, I, I suppose like looking at like what kind of happened after that, just really didn't like. I didn't like it. Um, I felt like like this. I don't want to say like any names. Cause I don't want to be like dissing people, but like right. sort of like everything that happened after that just didn't really do much for me. I felt like it was boring. Um, and so I kind of went back or I kind of, kind of got more into like abstract poetry. Um, and so I was just kind of like, you know, like a social critic, but like I considered myself to be more in line with like Allen Ginsberg or Corso or, Jack Kerouac or something like not like um like less chucky you know um and so that like my that's kind of how I got got my got got established was through like an experimental artsy um music career and then around 9-11 I was in New York on 9-11 like I was on the way to pick up a friend from the airport and it just really like I don't know. It just really shook me. Um, just being there, seeing the smoke, like not being able to leave Queens because they've got every exit to the city, like blockaded and no one could get in or out. Like it was intense. And so, and like, I really didn't understand why it happened. Um, like I, I felt like we probably did something to deserve it, but I didn't really understand like specifically what caused it. And so it just sent me on this deep path of research of like reading Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn. And then that led me to like Emma Goldman and Karl Marx. And so for a while, I just kind of like considered myself like some vague anarcho Marxist, but I didn't really hang out. Like I, I was calling myself an anarchist on records in like 2011, 2001, but I, I feel like I really um, hadn't really read enough back then, you know what I mean? To really have like a solid analysis about state power or, um, you know, or, 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 you know, resistance or anything. I just um, was reading and researching and like, you know, I was more into like the situationist than anything else. Um, but I knew that like the way that Guy Debord consolidated power within that was wrong. And so I had like anarchist leanings and like was into that shit, but it really wasn't until Occupy in 2011 where I really saw how, how like consensus and direct democracy and direct action and even autonomy, you know, how all these things can like complement each other you know we'd have moments where like you know i i i feel like really powerful in in the in 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 occupy like when people would all come together and like write a draft a statement and make it dope and it'd be like wow i can't believe we just wrote a dope statement with like 15 people like how the hell like i've never heard of anything like that you know or people coming coming to decisions together through consensus like rather than like the way that I had always learned to make decisions was through arguing yeah. um, and like forcing your opinion. Whereas like the idea of like coming to consensus with people and then ultimately being like, 
actually, we're never going to fucking agree here. So I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this thing. And you can say what the fuck you want about it. Um, and like, there's a time and place for all of those things, you know? And I think that's like beautiful, like on a small scale. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the main, I think like the main point I make when I say that stuff is like, when I listen to like my older music, there's like a lot of like liberal, there's a lot of like, you know, me trying to understand, um, understand things and like work, work, work those ideas out. And so I think like for people, you know, for people who followed my career, like they get to like also develop and learn, develop the politics along along with like the little nuggets of, oh, I'm reading this, this, and so that's that's like an interesting thing because I have people that have been with me since day one that are, you know, I'm still like interacting with. Um, yeah, and so I guess, but I point that out because it's like a lot of people I know who are anarchists come to it through punk music and I was never a punk um you know I've I I always like sometimes I take two showers a day you know what I mean? <laughs> right. sometimes I'll take a fucking bath and a shower you know <laughs> like punk I don't know I don't know if a lot of old school punks were really you know eucalyptus bath you know I, just, I don't know yeah very nice and that's okay yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So I think so. Yeah, I think that's just what makes you know it's a little different about me is that I I, I came to it roundabout way. Republic Enemy and Boogie Down Production and X Clan. You also um, talked about a panel you were on at a anarchist convention uh, or anarchist conference or something convention. I don't know what I'm saying. You're on a panel and. Uh, there you said you kind of like apparently talk smack about political artists who aren't actually in the streets organizing and you took it to heart when someone else on the panel rebutted that, you know, saying that everyone there was there because they were politica politicized by political art. And uh-huh. yeah, and I, it seemed like, you know, you've brought that up in your podcast talking to other people as if like that was like memorable to you or like made you think and... Yeah, that, like, I mean, first of all, that wasn't on the panel. That was Scott Crow, okay. um, who was in the audience, came up to me after the panel. was like, hey, man, the only thing I would say is this. That was a really, you know, powerful moment for me um, because it just really was like, oh, you know, that's why, like, right now, even though I'm not organizing and really all I'm doing is making music and podcasts um, and staring at, like, chickens who don't seem to be doing very much, um, like, I feel like that's okay. You know, um, I don't need to be a fireman right now, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that, uh, I think that's, that was important to me. And I think that is an important thing to realize that said, I think it's important that artists go beyond art, especially if like, you know, if you're an artist and you're privileged enough to like be one of these artists who only has to tour you know, two months out of the year and like make an album every three years and you're just sitting at home playing video games all day, you know, or like developing like weird hobbies, like fucking drone racing or some shit. It's like, um, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you want to get involved with something. Maybe like, and I, although I don't like to throw around the word privilege, I, I feel like, you know, if you are in a position where you have, where like your needs are met, you have 
you know, you're doing great and you have all this free time. Um, you know, you should, I think it's, you know, artists should use their platforms or their resources to further radical causes. And even if they're not radical causes, they're the liberal causes, like, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, go, go do some shit with like for with gr- grieving children. Yeah. Or, Soup kitchen know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, just like just something, something, something like something to make the world less fucked up. You know, because so many people, like rappers especially, like, oh, I got, I got mine. Fuck everyone. I, I'm just gonna roll five more blunts today. And see how many people I can come o- get over to my house to kiss my ass. It's like, man, go fucking do something. Go, go work at a soup. Right. Well, there was that one rapper. I I can't remember who it was actually. I just remember what happened. It was in Chicago, and he set up like like a free uh, bait car or whatever. Like they he pulled up a truck full of Nikes and opened it up and just said like. You know, there's a lot of bait cars and a lot of, like, targeting through things like that in this neighborhood. So I'm just going to give away all these shoes, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. And it just made a big public spectacle out of it, you know, because it also... But it was a great... It was really strategic because not only was he able to give away a lot of shoes because he has a lot of money, mm-hmm. but he was also to, like, draw all this attention and just mock these bait cars that are just out to, like, target people of color and poor people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's this rapper out here in Maine, uh, in Brunswick, or, uh, not Brunswick, uh, Biddeford, Biddeford, a ways away from me, uh, a rapper named Milo, not the, he's, he's dope. And he, you know, he started like a little tape store down here. And, um, you know, he does like, again, he's not an anarchist, but he'll do things like host these open events where anybody can come in and, play beats in front of a crowd and um or like when uh sorry to bother you was out he like bought out a whole um whole showing of that and was like anybody want to go see the new boots riley movie i bought it out on tuesday just get there and you can go see that movie for free you know and uh you know lots of little shit like that it's like you don't have to like have a fucking strategy for revolution figured out you know you can just like do something kind. Yeah, just be a decent human being. The the clash, I guess uh, somebody was telling me, they after their last album like was like a really bad flop, but like what they were doing was just amazing. They were like totally like they were busking around like 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 uh, England, you know, just playing shows like for free on the street and just trying to like take some of the power back that was that like they kind of had lost to labels and stuff like that that's awesome yeah and i mean again like like even on its face it's like oh whatever that could just be you know clever marketing but anytime you break art out of a out of the theater and out of the um out of like a a venue where it's all about selling alcohol and tickets right like take it away from that environment and bring it to the people like that's radical i mean when it's good especially like there's a lot of people playing on corners that aren't good (laughs) true (laughs) you know 
You gotta start somewhere. So, like, you... Okay, um... I guess you've had... You've talked with some sh- chagrin about, like, uh, your early career, I guess, and how you were gonna make hip-hop intellectual. Like, I guess your crew was, like, we're gonna make hip-hop intellectual or take it back or something like that. Can you... Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you speak to... What, I'm what saying? do you mean by chagrin? I don't know. It's chagrin a, mean? I don't know what chagrin means. Uh, I just said, like, grin? you were, like, you <laughs> said that, I think you were saying that, like, you were, like, a bit embarrassed at, like, how, I guess it was perhaps, like, a little bit, like, uh, we're a bunch of white people when we're talking about... Oh, taking back hip-hop. Taking back hip-hop, <laughs> or, like, was it, like, I can't remember the language, uh, language exactly, yeah. but, like, it was that, and then maybe make, like, we're going to make it intellectual or something like that. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we we came up with this title. Um, the group, this is Anacon Records, um, the Anacon. What we're talking about, late '90s. Um, you know, bunch of bunch of people who met like through. Basically, you know, we came into contact with all this music through like tape trades on news groups um, before the internet, before all before all this shit. And so it was like the nerdiest of the nerdiest music people from all these cities, like trading shit. And then it it put through, not all these people were on the internet, but we all basically kind of came through those channels. Um, And so it was all these like crazy white boys making outsider art, you know? And like, I didn't really... You know, I didn't know what postmodernism was or outsider art or anything like that. I was just like a high school, damn near high school dropout who liked to rap fast. Um, and uh, we called it the first compilation, Music for the Advancement of Hip Hop. No, we called it Hip Hop Music for the Advanced Listener. And we were like drawing on... Um, and I can only speak for like myself, really, like what I was going on in my mind as like we were making these decisions as I was thinking about the experimental hip hop scene that I resonated with. Um, I didn't get like, I didn't feel like I got supported from people in New York In New York. So I had a stranglehold on hip hop at the time and the hip hop in that time period was very rigid and formulaic and boring to me. And because I was on the East coast, I was more drawn to what was happening on the West Coast, stuff like Project Blowed, Freestyle Fellowship, Saphir, Raz Kaz, like sort of experiment, like that kind of stuff. That to me was experimental. I would also say artists on the East Coast, like Organized Confusion, um, OC, Mr. Complex. Um, and, and yeah, and so basically, you know, it was before like white privilege was a word, you know, it was actually when you used to get your ass kicked if you were a white dude who could rap, to be honest. Um, so white people weren't really welcome, you know, uh, you had to be really fucking good if you were going to be white, you had to be really fucking good, uh, in order for people to respect you. And, um, and so it was kind of like, you know, some chest puffing shit, but it was also, um, like, I just wasn't thinking about it in the same, I didn't think about it. Like, like today, if I were to think of a bunch of white boys saying that shit, I'd be like, yo, that's fucked up. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but back then, you know, like, like 
you know, like white privilege, people didn't use that kind of language back then. Um, for me, I was just like, you know, people just thought we were rich kids. I was like, man, my father's a fucking heroin addict. Like my mom's a hairdresser. Like I barely made it here. You know, this is all credit cards and bullshit jobs. Like I don't, you know, but even, even if you unpack a lot of that stuff, um, compared to the, a rapper from say like Chicago or, um, inner city LA, um, it's still a privileged experience if you compare the two. And so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I definitely wouldn't have, if I could go back in time and tell myself like, Hey, show a little fucking humility here. Um, your guest. Um, like for me, I, I thought, Hey, that's implied I'm here. Um, and yes, you know, yes, I am a guest. Humility isn't like, isn't at the forefront of a, you know, 20 year old male's mind. Yeah. Yeah, Nor is it a centerpiece of hip hop culture, really. (laughs) Right. Right. No, totally. But, but yeah, I mean like, and you know, but like for me, I I didn't under, I thought like, I thought like for many people, it was a rallying cry, you know, but then throughout the years I'd hear, you know, like, like fans or whatever saying shit like, Oh, mate, I love your shit because it's not about the bitches and the bling and and the gangster shit. And I'm like, oh, man, like, please just stop talking, man. You're making me feel dirty, you know, like, gross. Like, God, like, somebody give me a time machine. Let me fix this. <laughs> right, yeah, it, it's, it, well, it also looks at, I mean, that's why I brought the question up because it, it looks at the arc of, of where things have come because, you know, I'm older and I remember knowing and being full into activism, just completely entrenched in it, trying to stop sweatshops and police brutality. And, and, and then, you know, I knew what privilege was, but it wasn't analyzed in the same way. It wasn't like, you know, it just wasn't a part of a culture to like deconstruct privilege like it is now. Right. Right. You know, again, I really think privilege is like a barometer uh, for activism, you know, obviously can get into a lot of um, bizarre and uh, unproductive territories also. You know, there are there are white ally groups who just like their praxis is like self-flagellation, you know, and it's like, I, right. like yo, you can have agency and be a good ally, actually. Um but right and then there's also the there's also a lot of like you know political opportunists as well you know you know the right wing would call it value flagging but virtue signaling virtue signaling um but like did you call it value flooding (laughs) value flagging i think you just called it (laughs) value flooding but like you know like there are people who are opportunists who don't really care about people but just are using it to be popular within a certain group there's attention whores in every fucking group is not like right and that's why again like i always anytime i do an interview i'm always like quoting a lot of scott crow because you know i feel like we sh- what we really need to be thinking about here in my opinion you know is collective liberation you know how can we all like we don't all just want to knock each other down you know yeah. um 
my my friends, the Flowbots, uh, they were mentored by um, shit. I forget the guy. The guy who wrote a lot of MLK's most famous speeches is from Denver, and he like mentored these guys through their church. And he always hated the word privilege because he he would say to 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 these folks like um, privilege. He's like privilege is something everyone should want. Shouldn't we want everyone to have privilege? Wouldn't that be great if everyone was privileged um, or something like that? And it's like, what we don't want to be doing is knocking every, knocking each other down until like, there's nowhere left to go. But again, like, you know, there's, there's also a lot of dangerous territories of that too. Like there's people who can come up with like theoretical justifications for, um, like white people, I mean, with theoretical justifications for like, oh, whiteness is made up and I'm not white and I don't identify as white or, um, right. you know, this, this whole, this whole, um, I'm outside of this whole spectrum of discussion. I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want right now. And, um, you know, and, and it's sometimes when you, if you're not sensitive to a situation, you can not only make enemies, but like sabotage other people's work. And that's not the way to be. And so it like really, it's threading a hell of a fucking needle. And that's why I feel like collective liberation and, you know, just coming out with good intentions and respecting other people's experiences, you know, and that's, and I feel like that's like where the music for the advancement of the hip hop shit sort of fails because it just, like I see now how that was like insulting to people. Right. But it took me a long time. But when you're like super defensive, it's like, you're not trying to hear shit. You're just trying to defend yourself. And you end up just digging yourself a dig- deeper hole. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it is interesting how, you know, the right wing was able to immediately or like attack the, the social ju- come up with the social justice warrior t- you know term and like attack the left for call out culture and it, it's it's interesting to me because you know I I've only just recently been like all right I need to get back involved in things things are just too bad so I've you know so I was like tiptoed into you know occupy you know ice camp and like was really scared I was going to just offend people. <laughs> and it just shows that, like, how quickly the left has moved beyond this, like, call of culture into calling culture quite quickly, just like like that, you know? And, like, now people are able to have these discussions, you know, but, you know, the right wing's still kind of, like, on one about that. But, like, it seems like we've, def- like, very quickly moved into sort of an inclusive way of discussing things and like having people work on you know some of the messed up ways they were raised to think without a lot of like fear you know yeah yeah i mean it's really complicated i mean i would say that you know the west coast has a tendency to sort of be way ahead of the rest of the country too so you know i would be curious what what that looks like in boston massachusetts yeah i don't know i know in denver um when I left, it was very, you know, very sectarian and very uh, segregated. 
and you know that was depressing. So. When did you leave Denver? Three months ago. Oh, okay. So you weren't living in New York no. anymore. You were living in Denver. I never lived in New York. Oh, you didn't. Oh, okay, okay. We went from Maine to the Bay, Spain to Arizona to Denver. Now back in Maine. Damn. But yeah, the SJW stuff. Um, you know, you know. One of the things uh, I love about the situationist is somebody would insult them, and then they would like just take that insult and be like, "Hell yeah." You know, hell yeah, I'm a fucking social justice warrior. What the right. fuck does that make you? Right. You know? Like a fucking Nazi motherfucker. Like, congratulations. <laughs> you're you're a fucking literal... You're a, li- you're a literal fucking Nazi now. Like, congratulations. <laughs> you're a fucking sexist. Like, yeah. Your president is a fucking... Like, you got a rape. Like, like congratulations. You know? Yeah, good job. Well, the, okay, yeah, there's there's something about that, like, yeah, that definitely rings true. Like, when people were, you know, like, the sort of, like, uh, the elitism of the left or whatever, you know, that people rally or rail against all the time. Like, there's something to it, yeah, because at some point, you got to own this shit and be like, yeah, we're on the right side of history, fool, you know? <laughs> like, right. And, like, yeah, it's weird, because somehow the left or whatever, as a monolith, te- is characterized as both totally spineless and, like, this, like, really vindictive finger-pointing, you know, prick or whatever. Like, like how are you both? And at, it's, its, best, and at its best, violent. Right. Oh, at right. And, of course, violent, yeah. <laughs> violent, but also, but also, like, cowardly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're hiding behind masks, but really violent. Yeah, I I don't know. See, that's why that's like that's why I quit being a right winger. I kept just getting confused all the time. I was like, What's going on here? I know. So like you're proud boys, but you're denying all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. you're not really proud. Of I, I, what, wait, so what do you mean by proud? Like, yeah. yeah, totally. Oh God. Um. Yeah. I mean, well, all that said, though, I do think that, like, you know. There is an opportunity missed here. There is like some cognitive dissonance, you know, because there are good people who voted for Donald Trump and are still rocking MAGA hats, you know? Like I have a guy in my family who voted for Donald Trump. And, you know, when I try to like talk to him about it, he can't defend it, but he still wears the fucking hat, you know? And, like that's a rebellion against like the failures of neoliberalism and you know all this shit. I think a lot of people just saw it as like a, a nuke, you know, and didn't think he was going to go ahead with all that fascist Nazi shit. Um, and again, I may be being way too generous, but I know there's like like he got elected president, and half of the country is not Nazi, you know. They may be kind of racist a lot of good portion of them but um i do think that there's there's like there's just missed opportunities here with um you know communication and that's why like things like the john brown gun club and um redneck revolts and um and even like you know things like dsa chapters in the south and you know these like like open 
quote unquote, you know, quote unquote leftist. I don't really use the term leftist, but open quote unquote leftist groups like operating in places that aren't Chicago or Denver or Seattle that are like opening up more space for people to talk about socialism or people to talk about, yeah, you can like guns, but you don't have to be a fucking, you don't have to hang out with racists if all you want to do is go shoot at trees, you know? Um, (laughs) And uh, like this cultural shift happening that I think could provide interesting opportunities for, for the future because a whole, whole swath of the country has been left behind by neoliberalism. And if it seems like the only person who is defending, um, defending them is Donald Trump, then that's a fucking huge failure of the left. And I mean, if you, if you watch Bill Maher or, I like to always bring up my fictitious NPR listening cousin who actually exists. But like, <laughs> you know, when she talks about rural people, sometimes, sometimes it's like with disdain, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I, I don't know what the way out of that is, but I think empathy, I don't know. You know that's I think as old as civilization, you know? Said what? I think that's as old as civilization, probably. Yeah, I don't know. know. Empathy is too, though. Yeah, you know, empathy can, definitely, but... But the schism between, you know, urban elite elitism or whatever, and and like rural fucking podunk thought or whatever. Yeah, no, I know. Oh. I'm out here, and I'm like, I don't really want to make a lot, of, uh, make a lot of friends, people around me. To yeah. Be honest. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, I don't know, if people want to talk about the alienation of the Trump voter and how they were the disenfranchised and how they all voted for Trump. But, like, for me, I'm just so alienated by people that are that are Trump supporters. Like, I, I cannot, I can't sympathize at all at this point. It's just, like, at this point, like, I don't know. I, I As far as outreach, like, I guess go John Brown Gun Club, but I don't, I don't know how to do it. I can't. At this point, they just, like, disgust me too much. So many indefensible things have happened now. It's like, at what point? Yeah. Again, I'm not, like, I'm not trying to, like, romanticize people who voted for Trump. I no, guess I'm no, saying, no. like, there's, like, there's the people who wear the MAGA hats that show up to protest and with their Pepe and, like when they talk like my blood boils and like and my body starts to shake and I'm just like, oh my God, like, is this person real? Like, what is going on? Like, where am I right now? Like, oh my God, get me out of this fucking timeline, you know? And then there's like, again, this family member I have who's like a kind, generous person who voted for Trump and there's a lot of this cognitive dissonance there and like, you know, I'll leave it to some asshole at the New Yorker to write a fucking book about it that won't make any sense. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean, know. I'm definitely struggling with it with, like, you know, members of my family. But, like, at the same time, I'm kind of, like, I'm getting to the point where I'm, like, fuck them in a lot of ways, you know, because, you, you, you know, like, my father has been continually supporting ICE, no matter what, he thinks it's a good thing because if we don't have borders, then we don't have a country. And I sounds great. Yeah, I know exactly. 
I, just went, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, maybe that's not such a bad idea, Dad. It's, it's hard for us to argue even when we're like... Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, Dad, I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, but, but I was just at my mom. But then on the other hand, it's like these people who are still like on some Hillary shit, like they're out there too. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, I was at my mom's house just, just now dropping my son off and she had like a sign on her uh, fly on her refrigerator that was like the resistance something like it's not a word it's an action or it's or it's it's, it's every day or something like that yeah. something like that like that and i was like i'm like but as i point i was like mom like this is my problem with maine like where is the fucking resistance like nobody is resisting anything here like like this is this is like the cognitive dissonance of liberals where like you know they can speak in the they can act like they're fucking hiding in the woods sniping nazis yeah but like but they're they're fucking just going to work and you know coming home every day and keeping msnbc on and watching the kavanaugh hearings and getting all upset about it and it's like yeah laughing at the daily show is not activism that's not the resistance you know? Yeah, that's not resistance. But the yeah, slow, so it's like, yeah. But the slow like co-optation of I don't know. I I believe that when uh, a culture is co-opted, it is also absorbed. Um, its basic tenets are, it's like, it's like the slow diffusion of culture, right? Like liberals do become better activists as they are slowly uh, exposed to activist culture or whatever to they they co-opt a talking point and it and it looks like a facade but then it slowly becomes a part of their actual political outlook and they and more and more people actually fucking show up it's like yeah it's like uh, I was listening to this Noam Chomsky interview on the intercept uh, and he was just saying like look at the last 50 years like after the Vietnam war you know, all the things that have changed yeah. through mass the as a result of all this mass mass organizing. And, and you know, that's what I was saying. It's like, it's easy to get pessimistic when you're in the, sh- in the shit. Yeah. And, you, and you're burned out. And, you know, you've watched like 15 groups just completely dissolve and everybody hates each other. Yeah. Ever. Um, but, but it's like, you know, when you step back and look at it from the, the wider view of history... You know, it, I, I hope we're, I hope we're building something. Um, feels that way. Sometimes it does. Anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I've just listened to enough like people like Noam Chomsky or whatever who are just always like so positive about the future, and I'm like, and, so, and then then you listen to somebody like Chris Hedges, and I'm like, you know. That guy's a, a fucking douchebag, but I think he might be right too. So, where do we go here? Like, <laughs> I don't know. And that's why that's why I'm always like, you know, on some doomsday prepper shit because I feel like, hey, you know what? Sure, let's participate in mass movements, but like all this hurricane disaster relief shit is super fucking important because it's teaching people the skills they need to survive the end of the world that we're fucking living through right now. So like regardless of like protesting and gestures and all that shit, it's like gaining the material skills for like taking care of one another and survival. Like to me, that's like I feel like that's the most important thing. 
because protesting sh- and shit, that's just going to be happening anyway. You know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be, like, the new Occupy, the new this, the new that, the new thing to be outraged about that it feels like is about to lead to some huge change and then, like, the pendulum swings the other way. Whereas, like, tangible skills, like learning how to heal the wound, you know, learning how to how to write, how to... How to make medicine, how to, you know, I've got a house after it's been flooded, how to use sandbags to, to, uh, to. Like prevent a um, flood. Yeah, like, 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 these are the skills that are really, you know, how to fire a fucking gun, how to aim when you're scared, you know, like, there's a lot of, um, there's also a lot of, like, skills that people can learn that I think are also like super important for revolutionary movements. So it's like, sure. Like, you know, because it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, uh, getting baptized, even though you're an atheist, you know, it's like, all right, well, <laughs> like I'll still, if there's a God, I'll go to heaven. So it's like, all right, well, okay, sure. I'll, I'll participate in mass movements, you know, cause Hey, it sure would be nice if we could make the world a better place. But I kind of doubt that's going to happen. So I'm going to, you know, (laughs) learn learn how to shoot a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm actually going to do flood relief in like a week. In North Carolina? Yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, there was an organization that was like, like, like they're sending you out there. You yeah, really? Yeah, I, I kind of want to get involved in learning th- that kind of stuff. All because my life is generally disaster prevention, or like always. <laughs> it's always there's never any disaster. Like I'm always to the point where like, oh, now it's too late for me to fix my own problems. So I, you know, like, so when that hits anywhere, I want to feel like there are people that are going to go and help because we all know that FEMA isn't going to help. We all know that they aren't going to be there. Yeah. And, and I'm really into like some of the groups that I've been hearing about with like mutual aid, disaster relief and stuff like that. And, you know, I want to pick up some of those skills. You know, I definitely feel that. Super honorable. That's super dope. Uh, and you know, as I listened to you talk, I was like, "Fuck, why don't I go down?" You know, so maybe I can get my mom to babysit the weekend. I'll just fucking go down. Yeah, well, um, awesome. I can email you the group that I'm that like is gonna put me up. Basically, you know, they have like housing and stuff like that. So, and then they have a, you know, I mean, I don't want to just go out there with the chainsaw. There's definitely like they know what to do, so it's cool. Um, I don't awesome. know a whole lot about them, but. That's what's going on. That's dope. But yeah, that's, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's what's up. Yeah, yeah. And that's, like, that's really interesting, too, because, I, I don't know, I, that's not a part of you that, like, I've, I guess, heard heard you talk about a lot is the survivalist part. That's that's real. I get that. Right. I mean, that's what I'm doing out here in the woods. You know, I'm, that's why I'm into permaculture and gardening and shit, because I, you know, I want to learn how to use medicinal herbs and 
but actually I've never put it as succinctly as I just put it. So I'm like, definitely going to reuse the thing about baptism again. But truth is I never do interviews while I'm drinking. So shout out to truly spiked and sparkling wild berry, uh, 5% alcohol in the middle of the day. You know? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. We also, you also have a little, you have a little feller too. So I imagine you're thinking about this stuff way more. I mean, Shout my vasectomy, but... <laughs> uh, hey, too bad for you. Um, yeah, no, I totally do. I mean, you know, I mean, I always thought about it, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's literally why we moved to Maine. was like, all right, I don't want to raise my kid in Denver. Be a fucking desert in 50 years. So I'll at least try to be 100 feet above sea level so they can get a couple hundred years out of out of this land if you know we can hold it which is like ridiculous thinking on so many levels but um yeah, yeah. but yeah no i mean yeah i i haven't hasn't really sunk in to be honest like i thought about it like in my own way as i was having it like a, like a theoretical you know oh my son is gonna grow up in a world of deserts and barbed wire and fire and like <laughs> You know, and like uh, I don't know what the fuck uh, where that that leads, I and mean, then definitely not gonna, you know, raise him on some John Connor shit. But maybe John Connor light. We'll see. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, some people, some people say, oh, it makes them you know want to fight harder and whatever. Um, like at this stage, I see myself wanting to put myself less in arrestable situations. But that's also because I'm kind of like financially serious a little bit. Like I, I can't necessarily like can't like afford to get arrested in um, at some like large anti anti fascist mobilization halfway across the country, and then have to like fly myself back and forth for fucking to court two and a half years, yeah, until the charges get dropped. Like so, right? But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Fucking funny. Like he fucking loves trucks tell you that loves trucks i was like i don't want no fucking gendered toys for my kid like don't give me fucking trucks don't give me fucking machine guns you know and then he just became obsessed with trucks it's hilarious it's fucking cute i remember that i remember being obsessed with big machines it's something pretty wild yeah i used to love gi joe yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i guess i guess it would be Maybe what did you say? Survival light, John Connor light, <laughs> John Connor light. Yeah, John Connor maybe, light. Maybe maybe a little less fear. Maybe not focusing on the fear is what's important. I remember Red Dawn terrified me as a child. My dad was like, "This is what's gonna happen." Yeah, and that movie kept me up at night. Uh, the commies were gonna come in and and <laughs> shoot us all up, and we'd have to like. Hide in the woods. Yeah, like being a, my parents would be in a concentration camp. But I did think it was pretty fun to run around and shooting, shooting shoot, commies, shooting commies with guns. Like that part was <laughs> I like that fantasy. But <laughs> see, for I, me, I mean, Red Dawn, Red Dawn was highly influential on me as a kid. But it wasn't like an anti because my parents weren't hella political. It was just like a fun movie we watched all the time where you know, Patrick Swayze makes some kid drink blood. And, 
and like for me, it was just like, oh shit, shit could go down. Like know how to survive up in the mountains and wage a guerrilla war against an army. And so, you know, I don't know, like that and Braveheart were always like, all right, like I'm ready for the revolution, you know? But, you know, that's why I've been really getting into the ideas of like Black Rose Federation. I just did an interview with them and like, you know, I studied their shit for a while before I did the interview and I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like these motherfuckers have a really solid approach for if we're going to do mass organizing, how to think about it. Because at the end of the day, like the lone mountain motherfucker who just goes up into the mountains to survive with grain, grain guns and ammo, that motherfucker's doomed, you know, and their kids doomed. Like, we need each other. We need to build power together. Um, we need to, you know, get out there and, you know. Oh, I think I think that's truly frightening. The people that really think that they can just survive on their own, you know, like the people that really, really, they they believe more than like the average conservative mind, kind of that like the world really should just fucking burn and start over again, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you know. I, I don't feel like, I don't know, I feel like that was like a strain of anarcho-primitivism. Right. A lot of, back in the day. But I don't, I feel like a lot of people who are primitivists nowadays don't really want that, you know. They wouldn't be so crass. Because I've made comments like that in songs and people got really pissed at me. Right. Like, dude, I'm, a, I'm fucking anarcho-primitivist and that's, I don't want everyone to starve and burn. Like, <laughs> yeah. like whatever. But it certainly reads that Excuse way. Excuse me. <laughs> <Times>. <laughs> Excuse me for making sweeping generalizations in my song. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, that's more of like a, a weird, I don't know, I don't know, like a weird kind of nihilism where you just... Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and people get to a point where they just are fucking done with people. And I, I actually kind of respect that. You know, you can only endure so much bullshit in your life and... You know, you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm not going to kill myself, but I'm definitely not going to fuck with people anymore, you know? Yeah. So, I'm I mean, that's a sad way, to, sad way to go out, but, <laughs> you know, autonomy, you know what I'm saying? To each their own. Yeah. I, I'm kind of uh, into the, the Bogwan Rush niche model. <laughs> where like you know like he got all his people to basically take over a town you know i kind of want to do that with um radicals and punks because yeah. the yeah, cities w- without city, all the poisoning <laughs> maybe without poisoning the dows but uh <laughs> well, without a lot of shit yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know of course i was you know, i'm not supporting a cult leader, but like, <laughs> like Bogwan and niche, that was a joke. But, um, I think, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, like I've like entertained ideas of like, yeah, just getting rural because it's just like so hard to survive in the city, you know, yeah. but yeah, I still well, want my city fun and my punk rock and my entertainment. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've talked about it a lot, but there was this, there are like there's a city in France called Tarnac. It's an old medieval town, and a lot of the people who are like um, inspired by like the Invisible Committee and Tikkun, um, and, and like the Lazad and, and that whole like strain of French radicalism. A lot of people, uh, you know, have fled. Uh, I don't know if "fled" is really the word, but have left 
um, exiled uh, from French cities, which are like overly gentrified yeah. and are living in this like medieval town. And it's just that same situation where it was half abandoned, you know, and so people just moved in there and just started like building shit and like buying up tons of land. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I go and play a show there and it will feel like, like an awesome show in the Paris suburbs or something, you know, uh, years ago, but it's not, I'm in fucking rural France, but yeah. there's a super intellectual culture there and it's fucking cool. And I know there's people trying to do similar projects in the state. Um, there's this new project that just came out. I don't know if y'all saw Inhabit. Did you see that? The Inhabit Global? No. That shit's dope. I mean, it's basically a lot of that same kind of... It's not uh, exactly like... I forget the, the Bergnon Rashid guy or whatever. But the Bergnon. Uh, yeah, it's not that shit, but it's like, <laughs> you know, like... <clears throat> You know, some get back to the land shit. You yeah. know, but, but don't but remain engaged with with social struggles. You know, right. there was a lot fighting. of that going on here in the seventies in like the northwest. A lot of small towns around here were kind of taken over uh, in the seventies because land was so fucking cheap out here. So kids were moving from the east coast and stuff and starting communes and. I I think I mean I think there's a I think there's a lot to that. Um, you know, the only the only pushback I have with any of that shit is, like, how it is a question of privilege. Right. You know, is a question of... Um, is Uh-oh. That's what happened. I don't know. You can do it. With, yeah. Just hung up by mistake. You should probably call him. He's probably still talking. <laughs> Where did we lose him? Hello. Sorry, some fucking liberals were calling me on the phone <laughs> trying to get me to vote. Tried to hang up on him, but I hung up on y'all. Um, but yeah, anyway, what I was saying is that um, I think projects like that are cool because, in my opinion, like cities are just turning to shit. You know, like the the the, the new cultures suck. You know, um, <laughs> the forces of capitalism are fucking crazy and and this idea of like developing new ways of living i think that's a worthwhile project again the only question or the the, the the variable piece there is like how how do you expand that so that doing that feels more possible for more people like what is what right. is the vehicle of like creating a land trust and pooling resources so five friends can feel comfortable about going in on some land together and then having the skills to at least get started with it and know what they're doing um and then also being able to support themselves in a rural setting and so like there's a whole bunch like for me it's like oh i have a music career kind of <laughs> and uh so I can like kind of do my shit anywhere, but not everyone can do that, you know? Um, and so it's like, most people can't. Yeah. Or if like you're a programmer yeah, on a telecommute, well, not everybody, not everybody wants to learn that bullshit. So, so I would encourage everybody to, 
get the fuck out of cities, but figure out a way to do it that doesn't leave people in the cities to fucking be left alone with killer cops and, you know, predatory society. You know, that's like my question, like, cause I'm, in, I'm, I'm doing interviews around these sorts of things. And like, these are the questions I have We're like, okay, well, if more people are going to be do- taking on land projects, how can it be done in a way that empowers more people to do it and spread it out so that it's not just a bunch of white anarchists who think that they can do this, you know, cool. we'll see. Well, uh, just bring it back, um, to hip hop. When you had POS on the on on the Soulcast, I think you asked him what rappers he was into lately. Do you remember this? Um, yeah, not really. No. Okay. I don't like, remember his answer. Okay. Well, yeah, he was. He said he'd been had been listening to rap because so much of it was, you know, sort of sexist and like homophobic and stuff. Uh, and I found that to be kind of like whoa, because like he's a rapper, you know. Can you speak to like the tension between some of the oppressive elements of rap, you know, like its hyper masculinity and rugged individualism, and the part of it that's about resistance and community? Is somebody who's just kind of probably seen all sides of it? Um, I mean, I feel like, I mean, like I feel like that's a sentiment I hear a lot from um, black rapper friends I have who. You know, they're not like super ingrained in like activist culture all the time. And so, you know, when they're listening to hip hop, like they're listening, the way I listen to hip hop is like, what's popular right now? What's cool? What can I get inspired from and tune out what they're saying? You know, because it's like alien shit to me. So it's like same way I'll watch fucking 24 or, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever the fuck. Like I I just tune out all the shit I don't like you know, and listen, like, oh, I like the way Little Wayne's flowing on that. But like, you know, for POS, I mean, I can't speak for him, but other for other, for people like him, he's like, nah, you know, they're not trying to, to hear that, you know, it's insulting to them or whatever. And then the problem with like hip hop music is like a lot of activist minded rap music is not that interesting to people who aren't activists (laughs) because it's just like a lot of platitudes over shitty beats and you know, that's getting better, you know, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of people who ride the middle very well, who are like, who have like really solid politics and solid analysis and good beats. Also making, yeah. But yeah, but making music that can like bump in the club and get people to like throw their fucking fists in the air. Right. You know? Because if because and and this is the thing I struggle with, to be honest, because it's like, you know, you want like for me, for this to really be a conversation, for this to really be working, people who aren't already radicalized should hear this and be curious about these ideas, you know, and public enemy and boogie down productions are like the best examples of that, you know, or on the punk side, I would, I don't know, but it seems like people like anti-flag or propaganda or, um, you know, groups that are like people like, man, those motherfuckers can shred those motherfuckers rock a show. And like, you know, like I know like me personally, like when I'm like really into, some like, you know, whatever poetical, theoretical, revolutionary shit. Sometimes I'm like, you know, what? I don't, I don't feel a chorus on this. I don't give a fuck about a chorus on this. 
This is what I have to say for four and a half minutes straight, and I don't give a fuck. I'll probably never perform this song. I don't give a shit, you know? And, like, I don't... Like, there's definitely some limitations to that, you know? Right. Um, Well, there's also something to be said for having something that's not completely black or white. Like, that's, like, a lot of times my my problem with, like political hip-hop is like how polemic it is it's just you know it's just you know it's like your life is more complex you have struggles you don't just have you know i'm just a great person who wants revolution and i think that like that can be really alienating too yeah no i know i know i know um but i mean those are you know like me like i'll listen to little wayne like i i'll go on and i'll throw on the two dope boys mixtape every week and be like, okay, I like this song. I like this song. I like this song. And I'll get inspired and then I'll go write some shit. Um, but I have to tune out a whole bunch of shit I don't like. And I also, in general, like, I don't like listening to stuff from people who are close to me. If you're like two degrees of separation away from me, I'll probably listen to your shit once and then never again, just because it feels like, like I'm drinking my own piss or something. I don't know. Like it, it just doesn't, uh, it feels too inbred to me to just be like constantly listening to my friends, you know? Um, that's weird. Cause that's all I do. <laughs> like, <I'm, laughs> it's really? like, yeah. I mean, as a musician and as like a sound engineer, like when people ask me like, Oh, what have you been listening to? I'm like, I can tell you about 200 bands in Seattle right now, but I have no idea what's going on in pop culture. That's awesome. I mean, I used to be the same way. And then at a certain point, I feel like that stunted my creativity. And so I had to, like, (laughs) push my tastes uh, further, further out. So, like, I'll listen to Godspeed or, you know, Beach House or, you know, Bob Dylan or Pete Seeger or Woody Guthrie or young Jeezy or you know when are you gonna do when you're gonna do I think I'm Woody Guthrie when you're gonna make that song that'll be nice um (laughs) have you thought about that I mean that's not a bad idea I don't think I should think I'm anyone else anymore um I do I mean one idea I'm kind of working on that I'm not sure if I'm gonna do but I'm like really drawn to like like a one man play rap about Bakunin um kind of like Hamilton, you know? Um, just because I was so repulsed by how much, how people love Hamilton so right. much. I know. Uh, and so I wanted to do that about an anarchist thinker, and it seems like from what I've learned about Bakunin's life that um, he might be the the engine for that. Um, but yeah, I don't, think I, I don't think I'll think I'm anyone else. I was going to think I was... Uh, someone recently and I was like you know what I don't think again it's like evolution you know it's like actually I don't think I'm anyone yeah I don't don't even do that anymore (laughs) so that I don't think I'm anyone anymore the uh just for the the listener like you've written songs that say I that like I think I'm I think I'm Emma Goldman and I think I'm uh no Chomsky Noam Chomsky Chomsky. yeah and stuff like that so uh, yeah. So so how do you think about like 
Okay, so what do you... You've always seemed to be positive about whatever was happening, but, like, um, I mean, whatever. I haven't followed your career until I started listening to your podcast, but um, it seems like that's what you're doing. But I think... I think hip-hop's better than it's ever been, and I get, like, attacked for that so much, but, like, a lot of the gatekeeping is coming down over, like, who can rap, and it's always hyper-masculine men, and to what can be rapped about, and even the the beats had to be a certain way, depending on your region, and now there's all kinds of innovative, crazy stuff out there, you know, you have, you know, you have Samus rapping in the voice of of the character for Metroid, you know, a feminist rapping in the voice of the character for Metroid, and, you know, Open Mike, Open Mike Eagle, you know, riffing on, like, stand-up comedy. Uh, how do you feel about, you know, it's like the irrelevance of record labels now and SoundCloud, and artists don't have to answer to anyone. Um, can you tell us, like, maybe how this affects like political hip-hop or like politics in hip-hop hmm i don't know um i i i hear what you're saying about there being like a plethora of voices and like some of the some of those walls of being broken down and that's cool like you know there's there's more i feel like there's more underground women mcs killing it you know there's more um like trans rappers, you know, killing it, really dope. Um, you know, more, <laughs> you know, there's like right now, if I were to compare the landscape of like political hip hop today to like five years ago, it's fucking night and day. Like the quality has gone up exponentially. Like the analysis has gone up a ton, you know, um, you know, I, I, I do, I kind of feel like submedia plays some, some role in that. And, you know, just in general, like radical movements now are in Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, I think Black Lives Matter really was like a huge educational uh, process for the whole country, really. Um, but it also like politicized I think a lot of people and in different ways so that like Mike Eagle is a great example of somebody with um a really keen analysis like I don't I I think he doesn't like um attributing like politics or from what I've gathered through my conversations with him I, I think he pushes back against like being labeled as political but like <laughs> the way he's able to like on his last album talk about projects in Chicago that he grew up in being destroyed. And like, as I was like listening to the thing, I was like, holy shit, this, this to me sounds like what it would sound like being like in Vietnam, describing like your village being napalmed, like the way he was talking about the projects he grew up in. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, it's definitely like a great moment for a lot of shit, but I think so many things have broken down in the music industry. And I don't think like institutions have risen to replace them. Um, you know, there are really no points of discovery anymore that are open to underground artists, you know? And so a lot of these like 
awesome local artists you can point to who are doing dope shit. It's like, well, you know, are they making a living doing that? Fuck are no. they able to support? Are they able to support themselves through their art? Not and if the all. answer is no, then that tells me shit is fucked up. Because when I started doing shit, you made a fucking record, you put it out, you know, and you didn't have to hire marketing, you didn't have to hire publicists, you didn't have to do shit. You know, there was a local hip hop scene in every city, you know, that was like rooted in like some original style, you know, and like you could build some shit and go out and like make good money doing this shit. You could fucking now, buy a thousand CDs for a thousand dollars and sell them for twenty dollars each. You could fucking. I know. There, there was like a real middle class that emerged in the 90s with CDs. And Trust it, me. It was awesome. And I know. It's fucking gone now. <laughs> right. And so it's like when people. When people. Yeah, it's like. A, and it's not like motherfuckers were retiring off that shit. We're talking about, talking about being able to make. Being able to make 10 to. Ten to forty thousand dollars a year if you're willing to work hard. Yeah, semi-functional you know? middle class in music. Yeah. Yeah. Or AKA working poor. Right, working poor. Um, it's fucking because if you add up the amount of hours you're working on tour, you know you're waking up at fucking seven and eight o'clock in the morning. You're fucking have scrambling to find breakfast in some shithole. You know, driving six to ten to twelve hours to the show, getting to the show, doing a sound check. We're talking about an eighteen-hour workday. Yeah. You know, and yeah. And so, like, you can. But anyway, that's like beside the point. I'm just saying, like, it's never been easy. You know, if you were an artist, you'd love that shit. You're glutton for fucking punishment. You know. Yeah. Uh, you really believed in it, and but like nowadays. I think it's even fucking harder. Like, if I wasn't using Patreon, I would have to be touring six months out of the year to survive or putting out an album every fucking four months. Yeah. And that is just unsustainable. Um, and so it's a real winner-take-all setting that we find ourselves in. And, like, yeah, some people do become, like, really successful, you know? But, like... I feel like to really be successful in this climate requires like some gimmicky video, you know, like some magical lining up of the stars. It's very rarely like, oh, this person just, this person (laughs) just makes great music. This person just makes great music. So, and they have great politics. So they're going to get a fucking red carpet rolled out for them. That's not how it works anymore. So yeah, you got to pop some Zans. (laughs) <laughs> now, now so like that could like get that could lead into one thing i wanted to ask you about is like uh when you talk about your brand and you know like on the song where you talk about having a brand and having to have a brand to survive can you get into that a bit because like that's kind of what you're talking about to a degree right yeah i mean i mean like um so i'm getting the impression that um, one of y'all was a touring musician in the late nineties. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, no, no, I records? was I was fifteen when the nineties were over. But uh, I, I mean, I'm I've spent my whole life making music. Yeah. So like, I don't know. When I signed up to this shit, it was like, all right, I'm gonna have a record label. I'm gonna make a record. You know, 
the worst thing I was going to have to do was write a fucking bio into one sheet for my album yeah. that would get sent out that would get sent out to press when I would mail out um, my record. And the rest of my time would literally just be spent me and my homies making beats and rapping. Like that's what we did, you know. Yeah. And and that was what it meant to be an independent artist in the late nineties, early two thousands, like fast forward to today, how do I spend my time? I spend X amount, I spend a, a big percentage of time, like coming up with clever things on Twitter that I can use to promote my podcast or my music, which I can then hopefully segue into trickle, uh, Patreon subscribers. Um, and so like upkeep, upkeep now for me is like, it's not just making art. It's, it's a small part of it. You know, a lot of that time is spent with just with social media, building up my shit on this platform. I, oh, I built myself up to whatever, 15,000 followers on Facebook. Oh, Facebook changed their algorithm so many times. Nobody wants to use it now. So yeah. all 15,000 of those followers are fucking worthless. Yeah. Um, now I have to go over to fucking Instagram and it's like, Oh, I only have 3000 likes on Instagram. I guess I better put some photos of my dog up. Like, um, (laughs) what what are we eating? You know? Um, and then it's like, so now I'm like, Oh, I gotta get over to Reddit, you know? Fuck. Um, so like, yeah, that shit is like, and like my, 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 my desire to like engage like that just goes down so much. You know, I just really, um, I really just don't care about that shit anymore. Um, and so I'm constantly like struggling to push that shit from my life and figure out ways to automate it so yeah. that like I can like still make a living using those outlets, but not have them control you. And those that's a parasitic relationship. You know, when you're in a relationship with a fucking parasitic uh, organism that's smarter than you, like, good fucking luck. Yeah, it's not a symbiosis. Um, it's a fucking parasitic right. relationship. Yeah. Right. And so, so you know, it's whatever. Um, that said, I do, I do enjoy using things like Patreon. I feel like it does kind of um, even the odds a little bit and, like, create create a space to make like a to go back to having a sort of working class income um it's not a ton of money but it's enough to like cover base expenses and uh know that like you know at least my mortgage is paid or whatever um so you know but again it's like that's just because i'm one of the first motherfucking rappers to figure out to use patreon um once everybody else figures it out, that that's going to be like their best bet to, to like carving out a space to like create, um, you know, that's going to become a zero sum game too, because it wants everybody to something. It'll just dilute the waters. Yeah. 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 And so, so yeah, so like... I don't know. So yeah, I think it's actually a pretty shitty time uh-huh. to be a musician. Um, and I don't see it getting better. So, it's a great time to make music, you know? I mean, like, having right. a fucking, you know, 
You can do shit now that would have cost you $10,000 in a week in a studio in the 80s, you know? But, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, so the cost of making, the cost of production has gone down so much that we don't have to have these huge budgets for actually making the music, but then at the same time it doesn't, it doesn't produce as much money, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's become, and like, when I think and talk about this, I always like, you know, find it important to take a step back and be like, I can moan and complain about how technology and algorithms are, are rendering my work obsolete, but Hey, join the fucking club. Welcome to the 21st century. Like you're just another asshole getting, getting fucking beat by a computer. Like, all right, what you going to do? Yeah, gonna that's do what I was going to say. I was going to try to bring it back around to, like, actual, you know, like, politics. Collective liberation again. And yeah. it's like the gig economy. It's yeah. like, you know, except you ha- you're you using all these different, like, media outlets as opposed to, like, oh, I wash dishes Tuesday, you know, drive my Uber, like, on the weekends, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't I got four right. different jobs, so. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I mean it's and it's fine. Like I'm not like I'm not mad, I'm not complaining, like I'm sitting here walking across a bridge in my backyard over over this little stream. Like what the fuck? You know, like this is awesome. You know, it's fucking three thirty PM and I'm like, you know, half drunk off of some fucking Zima. Like I'm not mad. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> But, Life's pretty good, actually. You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm not mad. I'm, again, it's like, like there are all these things to be, you know, upset about. But again, not to go back to like a permaculture platitude. You know, within the problem lies the solution. I think that's a excellent phrase. Anytime I'm I'm looking at something that feels fucked up, it's like the only way to solve that problem is through it. You know, like, okay, the problem is, you know, your homies aren't able to make a living from music. Well, maybe, maybe they shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they should, like, you know, maybe they should all uh, start a grow up or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's time to form a collective and, and, you know, figure out a new new ways of doing shit like people love getting excited about new ideas you know i think a huge opportunity right now that would like be a solution to this issue would be to bring back blogs to bring back blogs that actually act as a filter to help promote independent artists because that infrastructure no longer exists like in the 90s i could send a demo to herb magazine and herb magazine would put it in the next 100 and then that changed the course of my career right you know there's no next 100 in 2018 you know the xxl freshman list is literally like who got signed to a major label that may or may not get dropped as a tax write-off yeah you know um and I was talking with um, this other podcast, Radical Underground, because I feel like they're sort of a clearinghouse for radical music. Um, and I was like, man, how cool would it be if y'all did a blog about radical underground music? Like, no one is doing that right now. Like, that's 
something anyone could do. Anybody who has the patience to log into WordPress and design a logo could build the next pitchfork. <laughs> That's cool with good politics. Right. You know, someone's got to make it. Because nowadays there's people making cool political art that are not just rappers, that are like folk singers, electronic artists, and, you know. I mean, I can't do it. I ain't got time for that shit. I just tried to start a record label. Like, I didn't, just didn't enjoy it. So yeah, I leave it to the next person to, to figure it out. But, hey, I tried. Yeah, the, uh, the podcast is, like, what made you want to do a podcast? I mean, honestly, it started 10 years ago when I was, when I first moved to Denver, I got a job working at um, this place called Denver Open Media. Uh, it's like I had a um, this half job, half internship where I was like a tech person over there. And, um, and when I was there, they, I was like, oh shit, like, um, because they gave me a membership to use their video studio. And they're like, dude, you should do a fucking talk show here um, where you just interview people. Because I, I was really into, like, you know, radical philosophy at the time, and I really just wanted to interview um, philosophers, uh, people like, I don't know, Mackenzie Wark or whoever, Slavoj Zizek, or whatever I was reading at the time. Um, or to just get somebody to come on and talk about fucking Baudrillard or Foucault or some, some fucking French dude. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so like we, we kept talking about it and then I realized actually there's nobody who I want to interview that's in Denver. So it doesn't make sense to do video. I don't want to be on camera. And, uh, and so I just started thinking about doing a podcast. I don't know. And then a couple years passed and I just kept thinking about it, like what it would be. And yeah. And then I just was like, you know, I think it would be cool to make a podcast that sort of bridges art and radical politics coming from an anarchist perspective. And a lot of it came from like, you know, I'd be hanging out with somebody like, I don't know, like bus driver or astronautalist or some of these various people that I've interviewed where I'd be like, just having conversations with them. And I'd be like, God damn, like, no, when, when y'all, when these artists are interviewed, no one ever asks them to talk about anything interesting. Yeah. Um, They're always asked the most stupid shit. And like, these people are so fucking smart because most of these artists, like, especially the artists I interview who I know who I know personally, Jesus Christ, I'm watching my dog just chase chickens and hug his ER. Um, who I know personally, I'm like, man, these motherfuckers are so smart. Like, they sit around reading, you know, you talk to them, and they're like, you know, they're just really sharp, with sharp politics, sharp analysis. And because they're not, like, coming from, like, a rigid activist background, you know, artists tend to tend to see things and explain things in a very unique way, I find. And so people always love the artist interviews because like, man, you know, you just don't really hear those kind of interviews very often. Um, And so it's like, for me, like, that's the kind of person I am. Like, I'm like, okay, I want to listen to a two hour lecture on whatever string theory while I'm washing dishes, you know? Uh, that's what I want to listen to. I want to listen to, 
Yeah, whatever. Somebody explained for Carl in three hours. Oh, shit. Hey, hey um, so hold on a second. I think you're cutting out, man. I should take some three hours to wash my dishes. So, I, I, think we're, I think we're losing you. Um, like, hold on a second. Uh, so that's my podcast. Oh, wait. Hold on. Wait. Wait, what's up? Oh, shit. What is that? Whoa, hey, what is going on? Unfortunately, the second half was distorted, so we weren't able to... <laughs> yeah, something got screwed up. The computer fucked up, and we lost that whole second half of the interview and didn't realize it until later. So, this has been Two Paychecks Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and all the places where podcasts are and stuff. Oh, YouTube. We put up things on YouTube occasionally.